As I've shared with you in, uh, in days past, that I want to give you my heart on all of the things that have made, uh, made an impact in my life, for want of a better word. Things that have absolutely transformed the way I do my Christianity in such a way. And uh, if you've ever got a favourite song, you play it only once, don't you? You play it what? Over and over again. And then you sing with it and you think, boy, if they were doing a, uh, what do they call it, a talent quest, I would win because I sound so good singing that song until you turn the radio off and sing it to yourself. But the thing is, re repetition teaches us, doesn't it? When something grabs your attention and then something that you really gravitate towards, repetition teaches you. And so this morning, uh, as I've loved Riverside with all my heart, I really do, and I've loved God more, uh, and hence that, that's got to be the priority. But to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Is that okay? So are you ready for a really boring service today? No, seriously, are you ready for a boring message? This will bore your pants. I'm telling you, it will. I couldn't make it more boring if I wanted to. But what I'm giving you is seven key messages that must be repeated in the church all the time. In any church that you ever go to, and the fragrance of these messages is not in the church, leave it. How about that? That's boring? No, you need to understand what you believe, and I, it's not about me to, to tell you what to believe, but the truth resonates in your heart, and Jesus said you'll know the truth, and that truth will set you free. There are churches in this world where Jesus Christ's name is not even mentioned in their services, in their liturgies, and in everything else. We get lifestyle messages, and we get all sorts of prophetic stuff, but when Jesus Christ is not the forefront of the message, then leave the place, because he is the way the truth and the life. So I'm going to give you seven messages that I believe should be on repeat to the churches. And if you like what I'm saying, say amen. And if you disagree with me, um, bad luck. Sorry, it just doesn't matter. You're not here. You know, did you put that first? Yes, there it is. Seven messages that must be repeated. To Timothy, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.6, Therefore I remind you, Therefore, I remind you. In other words, I've told you and I've told you and I've told you. Now I'm reminding you. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift that is in you. In 2 Timothy 2.14, Paul says to Timothy, Of these things, put them in remembrance. Put them in your remembrance. See, Timothy was, was like a son to Paul. But the only way that Paul could teach Timothy was on repeat. I read about a pastor who was invited to go to a school in the United States where the students apparently had the lowest self-esteem. There was, there was gun murders. There was all sorts of stuff going on in that school. That The students were fearful. The teachers were fearful. And everybody was in a low sense of esteem. Um, you know, they, they, that school was one of the first to have the, the metal detectors for the students to have to walk through before they came into school. All of this sort of stuff. And so this pastor stood there and he told them about the goodness of God and there was a better way and that, that God could put a change in their life if they just let him in. And so at the end of the message, and, and the pastor was sitting there in the, in the morning tea room, and a few of the students came in to talk to the pastor, and one guy sat there opposite the pastor, and he sat there deadpan. The student just had no life in him at all. And the pastor said, look at me and smile. He did it to see where the guy was at, and this kid just said back, I don't smile. 
And the pastor looked at him and said, you didn't listen to one word I said earlier, did you? See, you can say something to somebody and it'll just wash off them. But if you say it often enough with enough sincerity and enough truth, people will start to believe it. My friend Max McMillan, a uh, great man, great man of God. And Max used to, used to teach and he was, he was high in the, uh, as an agronomist in the ag department. But he said, repetition sure is boring, but it sure teaches you as well. True? So when things go over and over, eventually in your heart, they will sink in. As an example, anybody ever seen the movie Karate Kid? Aha, Daniel-san. Exactly my point. See, when Daniel Russo goes to see Mr. Miyagi, who was a you know, karate guru, sensei, he says, Daniel-san, come with me. They go out the back and Mr. Miyagi's got all these old cars. I mean, they are covered in dirt and mud and rubbish. There's about 10 of them. Daniel-san, watch. I'll wax on, I'll wax off. Wax on, wax off. You get, you got, good, go. So Daniel does. And then the flicks about 10 hours later and those cars are shining. He's done the work. And then... Mr. Miyagi comes out and Daniel's really upset. He says, I came to learn karate and you've got me cleaning your cars. This is a bum deal. Aha, oh, Daniel's son. And Mr. Miyagi goes, show me a wax on. And he goes, and Daniel goes, show me a wax off. And he throws another punch in. Repetition, suddenly learned. Though we might think it's menial, though we might think it's boring, maybe we think we're better than that. Things done on repetition will teach you. Do you think those Olympians got to where they got to on the Winter Olympics by just doing their tricks once? You see those ice skaters, those people on the half pipe, the people that do stupid stuff? They didn't just get up there and say, I can do that. No, no. And so the Apostle Paul says, let me remind you, it's a phrase that is repeated over and over and over in the New Covenant. Let me remind you. Why would he say that if we didn't need reminding, friends? The most important spiritual truths must be emphasized over and over again. And I want to be in a church that emphasizes the spiritual truth and speaks the word of God into our lives. So here are my seven key sermon topics to keep us on repeat. Throughout my ministry life, I've observed these in the church I got saved in, in the church I first went to in full-time ministry and into this church here. And if you look back over the messages that I've preached to you, they are dripping with this stuff. And so I hope that they bless you and that you put them on repeat in your own life and you'll recognize them. It's not an exhaustive list and I think there will be other truths that you're, gonna, that you're gonna identify things like, yeah, we should be teaching on prophecy and we should be teaching on miracles and we should be talking on raising the dead or whatever. Yeah, they're all there, this is not exhaustive, but these are the things that Greg Holder, your pastor says, should be on repeat. The first one is this, number one, Jesus Christ is the savior of the, and the only, for fallen humanity. Jesus Christ, it must always be on repeat. Jesus Christ, have you ever heard me preach a message without Jesus Christ? If I ever preached a message without Jesus Christ, though legally you probably couldn't, but I would ask that you do it, escort me out and say, do not come back. Seriously, it's that important. Jesus must be the forefront of everything. How, could we, how can we not keep the focus on Jesus Christ, friends? He's the reason we're here. 
his life, his teachings, his ministry, his, his headship over the church, his place in heaven at the, at the seat of the Father. If we're being true to the word, the most important message for me is Jesus Christ is the answer to everything in the world. We pastors need to keep telling our churches over and over again. Jesus Christ is the saviour of the world and the only saviour for all humanity. This teaching must not and cannot ever leave the church. It cannot leave the church. If it leaves the church, we leave the church. Amen? Point two, the second message that must be on repeat in the church. You, the church, are always and will be an essential part of the Lord's plan. Now, we may not think more highly of ourselves than we ought, but I'm telling you, God chose to use the church as his vessel in this world. If it were not so, why did he send the disciples out when he ascended? Go and make disciples of what? All nations. Now, the church is not perfect. It is an imperfect vessel, but we have a perfect God. And his presence is in the life of the church. We did our worship and praise this morning. And you might think I'm a bit crazy, and you are probably correct. But sometimes I look up, and you'll find me looking up there. I'm not checking out the sound system. I'm not looking at that beautifully vaulted ceiling. I'm looking for angels. Are you there? Are you joining us in worship this morning, Lord? Because this is for you. We lift our voices. We sing praises. If we like the songs or we don't, it's about, are you being glorified, Father? Are you welcome in this place? And when Jesus is welcome in this place, the church is on the right track. I must emphasize the kingdom of God is more than just the church alone. But the church is a vital part of God's plan. When Jesus saved you, he knew something about you. You cannot live your new life in isolation. Do you know that? When you come to a living relationship with Christ, you are created for community with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need the family of God. The family of God holds on to you and you hold on to it. I remember when I first got saved and I would weep at the foot of the cross and I'd go home feeling bad and next thing I know, knock, knock, knock on the door. Neville and Sue Strawn would turn up and there they are to encourage me and pick me up again and say, you know what, God's doing a work in your life. They're being the body of Christ. I got a call one night from my mate Tank who used to be in the band with me. We played a lot of rock and roll and a lot of dumb things. But he came to faith in Christ. But he gave his life to Christ and then I'm down in my flat and a couple of mates who weren't Christians but knew he was said they saw him up at the Tats Hotel sitting by himself at the bar drinking pretty heavily. Maybe you should go and see him because I think he's not doing too well. Excuse me? Unchurched guys come and knocking on my door about someone who just gave their life to Christ to come and get him. Why didn't they drag him out? The body of Christ needs to be in action at all times. Amen? We need to love one another, care for one another. That guy's gone on with Christ too, by the way. Uh, I went and got him, dragged him back to my place, and he flaked on my lounge for a month. But that's all right. I had a one-bedroom place and one lounge. It was all good. The Word of God and people, they instruct you and nurture you. The symbiosis of His people. I love that word. The symbiosis of God and His people together form a mighty team. The inception of the church, God created. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 to 47. Put this slide up. Now, all who believed were what? And had what? all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising god and having favor with all the people and the lord added to the church daily 
those being saved. I'm telling you, when the church is on fire, when the church is together, when the church is unified and in one accord, people are going to be hungering for what you have because what we have, the world cannot give them. That is Jesus Christ. The church is born. I will build my church, the Lord said in Matthew 16, 18, and let him build it. Let's be part of what he's building. And I'll tell you, last week I had a rant about, oh my God, and all this garbage. I'm going to give you, can I have another rant this morning? This bugs me. Uh, rant time. I might have a rant in every service, I think. That's the way to go. This bugs me. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I don't need to go to church to worship Jesus. Well, that's true. We worship the Lord from our heart, but you never forsake the gathering together of the saints because that's also a command of Jesus, by the way. And those who have issues with this denomination or that group is simply saying, I did it my way. Well, do it your way. But your way ain't the way. Jesus is the way. And he is the truth and he is the life. I believe there's a place for every person in the house of God. I believe there is a place for every person in the house of God. You, Some of you are getting it. Is the murderer welcome in the house of God? Is the adulterer welcome in the house of God? Listen, when God changes a heart, who are we to judge what God is doing? Our job is to love them. The church must be an open door to every part of broken humanity. We must be diligent in searching it out and seeking God with all our heart. People say, I don't like this or I don't like that. The music's too loud, the music's too soft. They haven't got any music. I don't like the kids group. It's got kids in it. Your church is full of old people. Thank God for that. (laughs) Friends, we're called to love God and love one another. And you can't do that if you isolate yourself from a distance. Listen, Riverside is not a perfect church, but it serves a perfect God. And you know what? If I get my beautiful wife up here and stand beside me, then you're looking at two of the most imperfect humans on the planet. But then you're going to have to come and stand with us as well. We are not perfect. We serve a perfect God. And the thing is, everybody who comes in here is carrying some form of baggage. Whose role is it to love them? Jesus said, love one another. But I've seen it. This stuff bugs me, as I say. It brings dissension and polarization and separates people. And it doesn't belong in the church that truly loves Jesus. I'll tell you what, churches don't split from outside pressure. They split from divisions right up the middle of it. You didn't bark this morning. So? I don't like your beard. Whatever. Get on with people. I walked into the bank this week. And I happened to just follow a guy like right in behind him and he had two faces. He had two faces. He had less hair than Pete Johnson. Serious, he was bald, but the back of his head had the tattoo of a demon. I mean, it was bad. His demon eyes had me. I'm walking into the bank behind the demon. And, I'm che- and then I look and he's got arms covered in tats and his shorts on and, you know, and he's a bad looking dude. 
And then I'm standing beside the bad-looking dude waiting for the cashier to come. And then this guy sits down. He sits down right there. And I'm standing here, nice white shirt, black trousers, you know, very sharp, very clean. And I'm looking at this guy, and he's going, and he's got his head down, the demon's looking at me. And the Spirit of God says, talk to him. That's not you, God. And then I'm looking at, and, and the guy looked like he had a bit of a frown on his face. And I said, uh, you want me to talk to him, God? He said, sit down and talk to him. There's a vacant chair there. So I sat down. G'day, mate. Sorry, are you doing all right? You look like you've got a bit of a weight, on your, weight, weight of the world on your shoulders. My name's Greg. Oh, g'day, I'm Dave. G'day, Dave. What's happening, mate? You, you doing all right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, just was thinking about all the stuff I've got to do today and stuff happens in my world and I said oh that's that's good now there was another large guy over at the counter I didn't I saw him he was a big guy sort of stood out but we chatted for about a minute he told me he'd been in Grafton 15 years I said I've been here 14 and a half years I love the place he said yeah good place and all of a sudden this big guy left and he said oh I've got to go he happened to be this big guy's carer but he gets up he walks and then turns around and shakes my hand he said hey listen thanks for caring he said Thanks for caring. Now listen, guys, isn't that the role of the church? To listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And honestly, I wonder how many of you would see the demon's head and suddenly pass judgment like I did. And think this guy's already made his choices. But no, what we've got is a piece of broken humanity that probably just needed a word of love from some complete stranger to tell him that he was acceptable. Because maybe all of those tats are just there so he would stand out and, and, and then that causes people to stand away. But the presence of God will invite you into their life. It's time the church suddenly realized that it's not all about the perfect clothes and the perfect presentation. It's about caring for broken humanity. And those words carried real impact. And he looked me in the eye and he said, he said, thank you for caring. Guys, when was the last time someone said that to you because you dared to step out of your comfort zone? All I was being was Christ to that guy, to the best of my ability. And I'm a pretty poor representative at times, let me tell you. The person who follows the Lord and claims to be able to live for Jesus better without the church. Let me just say this, you're insulting God. I'm going to say that again. I like that. The person who claims they're living for Jesus but can do it without the church is insulting God. Because God called the church to be his vessel. And I'll leave it at that. Good rant? Slide three. The third thing. Salvation is always about the cross. There is no salvation, there is no redemption, there is no forgiveness of sin, there is no victory without the cross. And any church that does not preach the cross doesn't preach the gospel. Salvation is not by works of righteousness, but humility, repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary, friends. This is the constant threat to so many people that have turned their Christianity into works and not faith in salvation. And this will never go away. Works don't save you. Only faith in Jesus Christ alone will save you. I should get a bigger amen than that. Sadly, works are grounded in so many ways people think these days. The human reasoning is so far removed from God's heart. 
To my knowledge, most of the religions of the world say, well, if you do this and you do this and you do this, this is what you'll get. Or you do this and that and don't do this and don't do that. Listen, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's not a works doctrine. Friends, there's only one, one to my knowledge that proclaims everything that was necessary for your salvation. One movement that proclaims your salvation. The only thing that was necessary was the crucifixion of the perfect sacrificial lamb at the cross. It's Jesus Christ. Trust God, receive his forgiveness, repent, which means turn away from and receive him into your life and he will become your Lord and Savior and he will give you a new life if you trust him with all your heart. When people tell me that their good works will get them to heaven, you know, I've been a good person. Well, then what's the point of the cross if being a good person? You would not believe how many times I've conducted funerals and people have got up and they've said this word and my friend Al will know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, he was a good bloke. Or she was a good Sheila. You know, there might be some heresy like they like Cronulla Sharks or something rubbish. I don't know. But all I hear was they were a good bloke. If that was all God had to tell us was, well, I read it here in the Bible where God said, you just be good now, okay? Is that what God says? Just be good and that'll be enough. Do you read that anywhere in your Bible? Then God sure went to a lot of trouble if that was the truth. He went to a lot of trouble for nothing by sending his son to the world to die on the cross for our sins if you were just going to be a good bloke. And people think their good works are going to get them to heaven, but their good is, the, their good is a standard set by the world. There is none righteous, not one. There is only one good, that is God and his son Jesus Christ. Friends, the church must always celebrate the grace of God poured out for you and I today. Salvation is and always will be about the cross. The fourth thing that must always be preached in our churches, we are not saved by good works, are we? But we are saved into God's work. I love that. We're not saved by good works, we're saved into God's work. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works have a definite place in the plan of God for his people, but friends, our good works, they're the results of the fruits, those things that are the evidence of our salvation. The works don't mean our salvation, it's an evidence of our salvation. What good works does the Lord want to see in our lives? Scripture answers that question in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. I love this. I love this. And you know it. Put this slide up. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. He has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires, what the Lord calls good. Walk humbly with God and be led by him. Matthew 25, verses 35 to 36. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. These are the evidences of our work, outworked by the love 
for God first. Looking at broken humanity and not passing it in the street. I've told you so many times, you don't know how many cars that you are passing on the bridge that people in those oncoming cars are dealing with some form of crisis in their life. The church must have eyes to see and ears to hear because the Spirit of God will talk to you if you allow Him to talk to you. These are evidence of work based on the premise that flow from the saved and thankful heart. Not because we've earned it, but God's provision is for us, and for that I am thankful. Amen? Yes, you're bored now. I've got two, three more to go. A couple more. The fifth thing I believe should always be on repeat with the church is you have faith if you pray. If you have faith, you will pray. Last night I got a call from my dear friend Ash Smith. And Ash's daughter is going through a really, really tough time. We had a three-way connection last night. And we talked for about 20 minutes. And after that, we prayed and we believed and we trusted God. And then we put it out on the prayer network. And then I went for a walk at quarter past six this morning and I was out praying first thing, bringing that before God. And then the prayer list before God, bringing this message before God. Listen, friends, I'm not doing it because I'm some mega spiro. I'm doing it because I'm broken and I need his presence. I need to get it right with God before I can come here and do anything with you guys. In nothing, nothing tells the story more about your faith than your prayer life. Nothing will tell me more about your faith than your prayer life. To me, it's simply an everyday thing that I need. I want you to consider this prayer thing for a moment. Just some of the thoughts that ran through my head. They run through them at times. Things like, actually, you're praying to a God or a Lord that you've never physically seen. You know that? You've never seen. And you actually can't prove it. Because even when they were were feeding the, the, the Christians to the lions in the first century, they said... Show us your God. See, you can see our gods because of the statues and everything we've created for them. But what can you show people? You can show people what he's done in your life. That's it. You say things to him you would not say to anyone else. Well, I do. I try to keep it very honest with God because guess what? He's not shocked. You know why? Because he's with me always and sees some of the dumb things I do. So God is not shocked by your wrong thoughts, wrong words, wrong deeds. It just says, get them out. And when you speak them out to God, they lose their authority over your life. Confess your sin to one another. I have a friend in Jesus, someone that hears me, and my dog doesn't talk back. Marley's a great dog, but that's God spelt backwards, by the way. The dyslexic man who believed in dog. Anyway. Bad, bad. The truth is I have the living God and I will confess to him. And sometimes I'm looking around to see who else could be around. But the truth is keep short accounts with God. Furthermore, and this amazes me, 90% of the things that you pray and 90% of the things I pray, you and I will never know if God answered them or he didn't. Or if he put them on hold for a certain season or time for when that prayer needed to be activated. He may may choose to do it in some different or subtle way. Guess what our responsibility is to do? Pray, believe, trust, commit to God. I don't know the amount of people I've prayed for, for healing, for, for salvation, 
for transformation, for deliverance, for all of these things. And I haven't seen signs and wonders and miracles before me. But you know what? Over the years, people have said, you prayed for me about such and such. And you know what? It took about six months, but God came and delivered such and such. And I go, whoa, I don't remember the prayer. Because I've prayed it, I've committed it to him who can do exceedingly abundantly above all I hope or think according to his riches in Christ that dwell in me. It's about prayer and faith, those two things. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I'm ranting again. Sorry, this is so bad. But there you go, praying to him day after day, as if he was occupying the chair right beside me. Do you do that? Do you pray as if he's the only one beside you? Well, that's the presumption that I have, friends. That's the presumption that everybody else in the world doesn't count because God's with me right now. But then I read the word omnipresent. He's in all places at all times. He's omniscient and he's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. My omnipresent God is with me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He is there for me in my darkest times. Why was it that the Apostle Paul was in jail with, with Silas? And he's sitting there at the 12 o'clock at night. It's black and it's dark and they're singing him because the presence of God was still with them in their darkest time. And then the angel of God turns up and the chains fell off and they were delivered. But the truth is, in our darkest times, when the chains are on our lives, is when we can call out to God and know He's there. And how sad it is for the world that lose people and don't know how to pray. And I hear so many people say, oh, we send our thoughts and prayers. I say, yeah, I'll bet you do. Listen, if you say you're going to pray, here's the depth of your faith. Will you pray? Because a church that does not teach about prayer, the power of prayer, the authority of prayer, the persistence of prayer, the absolute dynamic of prayer in your intercession to, with God needs to get a grip. Because without prayer, you have no communication with the Father whatsoever. That's why I love our prayer meetings at 9.30. If you turn up and come to them and start to seek God, pray for the pastor, pray for the message, pray for the people, pray for the sick, pray for our community, pray for breakthrough, pray for miracles, signs and wonders, because if you don't pray, it ain't going to happen. Oh, you're so underwhelmed by that. I love that. It's so good. This, is, this is such good preaching and you just... Anyway... You know what, I think I would have failed as a pastor if I didn't preach on prayer. I just think that, that's how important it is. Encourage people to pray. I love our prayer network, the one that Brenda has, has created and we all become part of it. And sometimes you get names from people, who's that? And that sounds a bit sus and whatever. Do you know what I do? My prayer. You ready? You know, Mrs. Kafoops has carbuncles and she's in agony and she's in Southwest Botswana. Oh, Father, you know Mrs. Kafoops. You know all about her carmuncles. And Father, I don't know her, but you do. Father, by your grace and mercy, send your presence to her. And I thank you in Jesus' name that ye, she is important to you. Amen. I don't know that person. I'm not going to pray. Are you kidding? It's a privilege to pray, to be asked to pray. It's a privilege to come before God, having a prayer time before church. For specific people, prayer needs three things from us. One, to come before the Lord daily because tomorrow is not promised. Keep short accounts with God. What was that prayer that little kids pray? If I should die before I awake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. True? People go, that's a bit of a morbid prayer to teach kids if I die. Hey, 
listen, it's an adult prayer. Father, I don't know tomorrow's not promised to me, but today I want you to know that it's your blood upon my life. I want you to know I love you in spite of all of my brokenness and my humanity. You created me the way I am, but I'm going to serve you all the days of my life, even in my brokenness, but your blood is what saves me, and I plead your blood upon my life. And so if you ever turn up at my funeral and you're going to wonder, gee, did he get it right with God today? Yes, I did. Because I want to keep short accounts with God. Two, commitments. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Third thing, faith. Because we know he can do infinitely more than anything else we can accomplish in our own strength. Prayer must always be preached and continually practiced for a thriving church fellowship. It must be taught and it must be practiced. Will you commit with me to be prayer warriors more? You know, Riverside will not flourish into Lifehouse that I see it meant to be unless the church gets hold of the very facet of prayer. The sixth thing every church should continually preach on. The church exists for these things. Evangelism and missions. The only analogy I can give you is this. As a fire exists for one purpose, what does it exist for? It exists to burn. You cannot have a fire without a flame. A fire exists to burn. So does the church, ex church exist for missions and evangelism. Sharing our faith is not an option. And no, friends, it's not only for the gifted. I'm going to give you a name. Now, this guy was not a great preacher. This guy was not a great teacher. This guy would have made a lousy street-side evangelist. This guy had uh, real issues he didn't even know how to write this guy was a broken homeless man who came to faith in a little church in sydney his name was arthur stace okay but what he had god gave him one word put it up that's taken from an actual um uh, it was just in a, in a walkway area, just an old concrete and in perfect copper plate with a piece of chalk. And he wrote eternity and eternity. And then in 2000, where did that word appear, friends? On the Harbour Bridge. Let me tell you, one man with no, nothing to look at, nothing of, of great renown, no money, no wealth, no stature, no work, no promise, no home, no love in his life, nothing. God touched him and said, go out and write this. And he faithfully took that small gift that he had and wrote it every day of his life and it changed a nation. That word eternity is a God word. It is a word that God has written on the hearts of men. In, in the book of, of Ecclesiastes, he says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Friends, you have got something. If you are a good cook, then go and cook something for someone. My beautiful wife yesterday, uh, Bree's parents are doing it a bit tough in their health-wise, and, and Helen starts to pull out and says, oh, I think I'll do up a salmon Mornay with stuff. And, and I said, go for it. I'm not making it. You are. And took it out there and blessed them. If you can cook, cook something for a neighbor. Look for an opportunity to use whatever gift you have. Amen. If you mow lawns good, go and mow someone's lawn. I don't know. If you love sport, then go and be a fellow sports person. Do whatever it is that God has put in your life and use it to glorify Him.
That, friends, is both mission and evangelism. It is mission. Your next door neighbor is your mission, and evangelization is what gift God has given you. As I said, fire exists to burn, and the, and the fire burns by consuming oxygen. If the oxygen disappears, what happens to the fire? Now, what is the breath of God, the Spirit of God? It breathes on the church for one purpose, to ignite it into a flame of evangelism and mission. And I love Riverside because it's grabbed mission and it's made a difference in Africa. It's made a huge difference in Thailand. It has made a huge difference in so many areas in SRE and where else we've placed our finances to make a difference in the world. It is the breath of God fanning the flame of mission and evangelism. If a church hasn't got that mission, if it hasn't got an evangelistic heart, I'm telling you they're missing something powerful from God because the Holy Spirit breathes on it. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go and make disciples of Gaira. Well, it probably needs it. But anyway, it said, Go and make disciples of all nations. It was the Great Commission. Amen? It's something that needs to be preached and preached and preached again. I don't know. But unless there's evangelism, I don't think we're going to reach a broken, lost nation. But God will empower it. You know, we need to reach this generation. And I'll tell you the one reason we need to reach this generation. Because it's the only generation that you and I have got. We need to reach this generation because it's the only generation that we've got. The seventh message that must always be on rotation. The Bible is the inspired word of God and the spiritual food for the believer. Have you ever thought perhaps that other church programs, and sadly sometimes they do downplay the importance of the Word of God? Many would say that would never happen. Well, I've noticed that life has a way of pushing God's Word out of the mind of the believer. The process seems to come, become the same for everyone. It works like this. You go for a few days without reading your Bible. Now, don't you go putting your head down because I can see you. You might go a few days without reading your Bible and soon you find yourself resisting that inner urge to go back and read your Bible. The more you cave into that laziness that resents picking up the Word of God and actually opening it even more or even doing a devotion becomes a thing that's hardly ever present in your life the more you'll find yourself or perhaps thinking, well, look, I've read the Bible. Oh, I know it and I believe it. There's nothing new. Actually, it's boring. Those are lies from the pit of hell, friends. They are lies from the pit of hell. I was so blessed in my early Christianity to be introduced to a guy by the name of Malcolm Smith. And Malcolm Smith was a man who or is a man still alive but he's a very old man now but Malcolm Smith is one of the greatest teachers he speaks Hebrew he, he speaks he reads Latin he understands the scriptures he has read it devoured it owns it teaches on it and he's read the Bible over a thousand times this man loves the word of God and he is a wonderful wonderful teacher but here's the thing if Malcolm Smith is going to teach on the book of Revelation he will sit down and read that book 40 times 
even though he knows it and has been through it all of those times, he will read it 40 times. It will go to a place of isolation for two months and just isolate into a cabin, read the Word of God and the revelation that comes out of it. He might read Deuteronomy 40 times. Could you imagine reading Numbers 40 times? Some people are just masochists. But, but the truth is, if he's going to teach on it, he is going to research it and he is going to read it. And the thing is, I find that when I'm reading a Bible, a, a, a chapter over and over again, or I'm reading a book over and over again, I did that with the book of Ephesians. I tried to do a Malcolm Smith. I'm going to read this 40 times right through and then I'll know everything. Listen, it's been 38 years since I did that and I'm still getting revelation out of Ephesians. Because I tell you, you might read it 20 times, but on the 21st time, something will spark in your life that will transform you. The Word of God is alive and should never be put aside thinking you know it all. And how many times have you heard somebody say, oh, I've read it from cover to cover. Good job. I hope you've observed, absorbed it all. Now, quote me out of Job 16.4, please. Oh, no, I was boring. The truth is we throw away these things when the Word of God is primary. It is a breathing, living entity. And the more we absorb it in our life, the Bible, I'm telling you, the devil will try to convince you that you don't need it. And how do I know about leaving it sit there for about a week without touching it? How do I know that? Been there, done that. How do I know about leaving my devotional on the bench and walking around it? Been there, done that. And suddenly the devil gets a win and then God has to give me a kick up the pants. And so where do you think these messages come from? A good memory that I have? If there's not a Bible open on my desk, in my office down there, come and rebuke me. If there is not a Bible open in my place or it's not somewhere where I can closely put my hands on it, rebuke me because I'm telling you the Word of God feeds me, nurtures me. And let me tell you, you don't, you don't know the Bible as well as you think you do. What did Jesus say in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily... What is our food? The Word of God. Job said, I have esteemed the words of thy mouth more than my necessary food. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He said that before he taught them the Lord's Prayer. King David said, the godly man's delight is in the word of God. And in that word and in that law, he meditates day and night. Friends, these things, these seven things, are the most powerful messages that must always be kept on repeat to the church. And of course, there are many other things, yeah, tithing, covenant, healing, all of those things. <laughs> but those seven have meant so much to me being a pastor and keeping, trying to keep a church healthy and on track. So the last slide, Jesus Christ is the saviour of the world and the only saviour for mankind. Number two, you, the church, are and always will be an essential part of God's plan. You have to understand that. You're not an island, you're not isolated, you are the church. Thirdly, salvation is always about one thing, the cross. Four, we are not saved by good works, but we are saved into good works. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth must speak. Five, if you have faith, you will pray because that is your greatest weapon. Six, the church exists for evangelism and mission. And lastly, the Bible is the inspired word of God and the spiritual food for the believer that nourishes you more than any earthly food ever could. 
Yes, repetition is a great teacher. In fact, I think it's the best teacher on the planet. And the church must put those things on repeat on a daily basis. And if a church doesn't put those seven dietary foods on the menu, it will starve. And that's what I've learned over the years. May we always focus on the way, the truth and the life and the promises of God and his word that is so true to us. I pray those seven things are preached in the church that you attend. I know they are here. If you don't believe me, have a listen to my sermons for the last 14 and a half years. I hope that's blessed you this morning. But let's start to get in touch with God. Amen. Love you guys.